I mean, I've told people for years, if you're not from around here, you just have to understand the world in Hillsdale County stops for a week and the focus becomes the fair. I'm Brian Watkins and this is Vanished Hillsdale. The week of September 28th, 2020, this week, the week this episode is first airing, would have been fair week for the 170th Hillsdale County Fair. Even though the fair is only temporarily vanished, we felt it was a perfect time to talk about it. And if we're going to talk about the fair, who better to do it with than two people who are as sewn into the quilt that is the Hillsdale County Fair as anyone. Fair manager Lori Hull and the quintessential voice of the Hillsdale Fair, Bob Flynn. Uh, yeah, my, my fair life goes back to uh, infancy, basically. Um, my first remembrance of being at the fair, um, my parents were in Farm Bureau, so it would have been very early 1970s. Um, they were picking up the, their part of the Farm Bureau display on a Saturday night, and somebody was loading a big pumpkin into the back of their car, and I can still remember it was a light green car. And my mom said, well, that's Cinderella's pumpkin. I couldn't have been more than probably four or five at the time. But that that really is my first recollection of, of being on the fairgrounds. And I, I still can remember where I, I was standing out by the Women's Congress building when I saw that. And my mom said that to me. So my parents were in 4-H. My grandparents, my great-grandfather was a 4-H leader. Um, and as I've told a few people, as I did ancestry research, I discovered that my four times removed great-grandfather, Mr. Holloway, was the secretary of the fair in the, eight, in the late 1800s. Oh, wow. So you had a little bit of a connection there. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's in the blood. Yeah. Um, like I said, I was a 4-H'er, and then I joined the fair board as the representative for Adams Township for about eight years, nine years. And then I had um, the opportunity to do office manager. And when in the transition between Scott Dow and Mark Williams, and then ultimately Mark Williams did two fairs. And then I was named uh, manager after the 2017 fair. I think you had you had kids in 4-H. I think they're, are they older than that now? But they, but they definitely were, yeah. they were in 4-H. Yeah, our 4-H careers are over. Um, and that's, it's such a transition, but for me this year, um, it, it, when it's been such a part of how you get around in the fall to get ready to go to the fair, um, it, it's a very, very empty sense I have of, of just realizing next week there isn't all that going on. <laughs> yeah, because obviously the planning starts pretty much the day after one fair ends the planning for the next one starts, if not sooner than that. And this time, normally every year, the sessioners are starting to set up and finishing touches are getting put on. Yeah, the um, normally the tents would have de- been delivered last week from our tent vendor. Um, I woke up in the middle of the night, oh, I guess it was a couple weeks ago now, and thought, I-, I-, I never ordered those tents. And then, you know, kind of woke up out of my fog to realize I didn't have to. <laughs> That's why I didn't. And so that... That was, you know, kind of not having to order the tents and obviously everything that's not happening, obviously, is because of COVID. And you had to make that call back in late June, wasn't it, that you guys? Uh, yeah, the official uh, board meeting was the last Thursday in June. And uh, 
I sadly, I had had a sense that this was the direction that we were going to end up even as early as mid-May. Um, it just didn't have a good feeling that we were going to get into a place where the state would be open enough for it to be financially feasible for us to have a fair. Um, there was some talk of very limited capacities and, you know, trying to envision how you would control the population of bodies coming onto the fairgrounds was was something that you really couldn't get a handle on how you would do that. We have multiple entrances and, you know, the vendors that never leave the fairgrounds, the 4-H families that once they get there on Saturday, they're pretty much, you know, that's their second home for the week. Um, and how do you keep the count on those and then figure out how many more people you can let on. So, you know, in a perfect world, we had simple answers, but this was just an evolving, constantly rolling ball that you just could never really get a handle on. And now here we sit the, you know, just a few days before what would have been the first day of fair and 10 people are allowed inside a building and a hundred people outside. So that does not make a fair. No, it does not. And I'm, I'm sure it wasn't an easy call to have to make, but I think, you know, looking at all the planning and preparation ahead of time and how far out you have to start and the vendors have to start and the amusement companies have to, you know, get on calendars and everything. So I imagine you really didn't have much more time after that to make that call before. it. Really well, yeah. Came. And that, that was a big piece of it. As you start speaking to those different um, providers, uh, one of the big ones for us is Skurback Family Carnival is our carnival company. They're out of Escanaba and I think we've used them four or five years now. And it's a great bunch of people. And it got to the point where he told me, you know, even if you guys put a fair on, I can't afford to come. You know, when I called him that night that we voted, he was one of the first phone calls I made. And I said, Bill, we, we've canceled. And he said, thank you. Means I didn't have to tell you I couldn't come. You know, that one week is where we capture the largest portion of our budget. We've got other items, one of them being, you know, grounds rental. Well, obviously the Grange Hall is a beautiful place to have a wedding reception. And I think we've done three wedding receptions this year. We were booked almost every weekend from mid-April through the first weekend in November. And so that's been a tremendous hit that we've taken. And, and so if those weddings got canceled at my venue, the photographer got canceled, the caterer got canceled, you know, so many pieces and parts that go together for any of this that it it is economically just devastating. Traditionally, we've hired the lawn mode, just had a weekly lawn service, about $12,000 that the board took it on themselves. And there's kind of a core five or eight that faithfully came and mowed all summer long, saved us a good chunk of money. And, you know, there's buildings that they're going to get a leaky roof or they need boards put back on. And, and if it's anything that was a money investment, it certainly didn't happen this year. You know, we're okay for a year or so, but I don't want to be, you know, sitting here a year from now in the same position we are now. You know, considering all the cuts you've had to make, it's obvious that the fairgrounds are still very well cared for. I don't live in town anymore, but I get back as often as I can. And every time I've been through, they've looked amazing. And, you know, speaking of coming through and coming into town and concessions, I've, I've got next week marked on my calendar to make another trip back so I can eat way too much fair food. That's been a great opportunity. Those drive through fair events. Um, it was, a, I want to say Ionia or some Grand Rapids, the area fairgrounds came up with this as an opportunity to give their food vendors a, a little bit of help. 
and give the fairgrounds some help. For these food events, um, we've actually taken a portion of their profit and that's helped keep the wolf from the door a little bit for us too, but it also gave them opportunity to get some income where they normally wouldn't have. And um, so we did one in, in July and had about 1200 cars go through. We did a second one, the middle part of uh, August. I guess the first one was the last week in June. The next one was about two weeks into August. We had 1,450 cars come on that one. And then, um, so this one we're doing coming up next weekend, the first, second, and third of October, which would have been the end of the fair, that Thursday and Friday and Saturday that would have, would have ended the fair week. Um, we've got eight vendors coming in with food, and we also opened up the donut hut for this uh, event. We've had a lot of people asking for donuts, and, and so, we're gonna get that rolling. So that'll be there too for folks and, and they love those donuts. So it's it's nice to be able to offer that on this last one as well. In my mind, I'm thinking the Donut Hut is new, but it's actually, this would have been, I think the 10th year, pretty close to 10 yeah. years because I, I, remember, yeah. I remember talking to Walt the first year they were open. Okay, we're gonna step away for just a second from our conversation with Lori because 10 years ago, I spent most of that week wandering the grounds with a video camera, doing some interviews. And one of those interviews was actually with Walt Zinzer, a retired fair board member. He was the founder and chief donut officer, for lack of a better description. For the majority of the time, the Donut Hut has been around. So I thought it'd be interesting to hear what Walt had to say about the Donut Hut before it was famous. Walter Zinzer, director of Hillsdale County Fair. This is my 30th year on the fair board. About three years ago, I started doing a little investigation in two other county fairs down in Ohio, Fulton County and Williams County Fair. And we kind of studied them and talked with them and Fulton County started working with us. So the, the Wauseon Band Boosters runs that one. And they've been real helpful in helping us get, get started. And I've worked there for three years now, helping them and kind of my training. So you had, they had great response down there. How, how's it been up here so far? Has it been what you expected? Or? Well, at the start, it, it wasn't quite. But then, you know, as we think about it, people up here, a lot of them don't know about the, the, the donuts. Uh, you know, down there, I know when we went, we always went with the idea we're going to come home with some donuts. You know, that was our last stop as we go home. And as the week has progressed, we're finding that same thing's happening here. Started right out this morning, and we're just barely keeping up with, with the de demand. So it's going real well. People are learning what they are. You go around the fairground, I've been told I haven't been able to get out much, but I've been told even the vendors, you look at the back booth, you know, on their shelf, and there's such a uh, package of donuts. Now, the, the money from the donut hut, what is that gonna? What does that go to do? Well, we're going to use it. The fair board's going to use it. We've got buildings that we want to continue. We've made a lot of progress on those, and we've still got a long way to go. You know, there's a lot of roofs and a lot of foundations and work on uh, on the buildings to get them up. And then there's other things we'd like to build in the future too that that are on the on the plans. But you know, finances have to be there first. We hope everybody comes out and enjoys the donuts. Uh, we've had a lot of comments. I mean. Almost every day I'm out here talking to someone, they want me to come out front, and their first question is, are you, you're gonna be open every day, aren't you? Uh, we've had them tell us that they're, they're some of the best donuts that, you know, that, that they've had, even from bakeries, so that it's, it's an amazing response, and we're really pleased that people are enjoying the donuts as much as we enjoy making them for them. I'm calling it the unfair fair, what we're having this year. And, you know, we're doing the, the drive-through food event. Um, uh, this fair, you know, another example of it is we, traditionally I sell sponsorships to different businesses and they get a banner at the band shell or a banner in the expo building and 
around the grounds and things. And I kind of got a wild hair and I thought, you know, maybe some of these folks would still like to have their banner on the fence for, you know, fair week. And maybe I can stretch it a couple more weeks called called Belson Asphalt because I know how much Sherry loves the fair. And I thought, well, this will be a good one to start kind of test the water. Well, she couldn't say yes quick enough. And I now have, I think, 14 banners sponsors that still wanted to be a part of the fair. The fair is important and significant, and they wanted to make sure the public saw them supporting us as best they could. A couple of our of our tractor dealers um, are bringing in some tractors, Wells Equipment and Greenmark, and, and at least Hillsdale Buick is bringing in some cars to park. So there'll be a little sense of some of the displays that we see Fair Week. And you can't deny 170 years of history. It's deep in the hearts of, of people. Oh, absolutely. Once, once it gets this time of year, you step out early in the morning and it's like, oh, it's fair weather. That's fall weather, that's fair weather. And I mean, I've told people for years, if you're not from around here, you just have to understand the world in Hillsdale County stops for a week and the focus becomes the fair. And like you said, you're not living here locally, but yet your heart's still in Hillsdale County the last week in September. For nearly a quarter century, WCSR's Bob Flynn has been bringing the sounds and voices of the fair into our homes. But even before he was the voice of the fair, Bob was busy supporting the broadcast and making sure fairgoers had a safe place to park. I did not start broadcasting from the fair until probably the mid-90s. Mike was still doing the broadcasts from down at the fair, so I would actually fill in for him and do his morning shift uh, while he was at the fair. And then in the afternoon, I would actually go down to the St. Anthony Fair parking lot, which is at their cemetery, just immediately south of the fairgrounds and spend from noon until six helping to park cars. So I did that for several years until Mike finally decided he no longer wanted to be the man at the fair. And that was me. And it's been me ever since. So WCSR had the auction that is it auction action or action auction booth the auction action booth. Uh, actually, Tony Flynn came up with the idea for the auction action booth where uh, the public could bid and buy on brand new fabulous merchandise from uh, area merchants and uh, normally get it at below the retail price uh, so they'd get a fabulous buy on a brand new item from a local store. And that wound up a couple of years ago, I think you stopped doing that? Yep, that uh, it just kind of, uh, to be brutally honest, it just kind of fizzled when... Um, the number of uh, merchants started to decline in and around the area. Uh, we didn't have the, uh, the the wide selection of items that we used to be able to get. And then some other scheduling things and, and the personnel and this and that. So it just uh, it just worked out best to give up our, our broadcast booth inside the merchants building and the auction action booth at the same time we were kind of using it as both and just end up with another broadcast location. And so, aside from the booth and the and the uh, in, in the in the new merchants building, the which I, I still think it's interesting to call it the new merchants building, considering it's not new by any stretch. It's not new by any stretch of the imagination, but believe it or not, it's the newest. Well, up until the new horse barn was built last year, 
It's the newest building on the grounds, and it's it was built in the early 70s. I was also built in the early 70s, so I will call myself <laughs> I will call myself new as well. So the new I, Brian Watkins. The new Brian Watkins. So that's a so that's a bonus out of this call. Then I learned I'm I'm not so not new. Sure. So aside from your booth there, and I don't know if you still do or not, but you uh, you would broadcast at least portions of the animal sales. Yes, we used to do the uh, small animal sale on Thursday night and the large animal sale on Saturday morning. Um, and you will understand this probably better than some of our listeners. The reason we stopped doing that was basically technology. Um, it got it, it became more and more difficult to broadcast from those buildings because they were metal. And um, broadcast equipment and metal buildings and fluorescent lights don't play well together. It was becoming more and more difficult to get a decent signal. And uh, when we switched our equipment over to cell phone usage, uh, you can't get a cell phone signal in a metal building anywhere for with regardless of who your carrier is. And so it just ended up being more and more difficult to try to get a decent signal so that our listeners could hear what was going on. Yeah, and, and I think, uh, you know, like you say, with the instance of Instagram and Facebook and stuff, the kid can take a picture and post it immediately, and so everybody kind of knows anyway. I remember several years, I always, uh, I ended up doing the small animal sale on Thursday night since I was already down at the fairgrounds, and then Mike would handle the large animal sale on Saturday, and and um, I, um, I, I, I learned to love turkeys from afar <laughs> because because they're the devil's bird. They have these very evil talons that can kill you or worse. And of course, at the small animal building, not only was the, were the animals small, but the building was small. And so we were all kind of cramped right there together. And every now and again, one of those turkeys would decide to try to flee for its life. Um, and would attack anything within five feet of it, and that was normally Bob. So there, there were several nights I came out of there with scratches, covered with uh, with turkey poo, and going, you know what? I'm going to see you in a roaster in about two months. <laughs> you should have, yeah. If you if you could if you could identify the bird, you could go ahead and bid on that and take your revenge on Thanksgiving. Exactly. Well, because the thing is, you know, everybody sees these turkeys, these big white fluffy turkeys sitting very calmly and, and, and placid out in a field somewhere. And then all of a sudden, grandma puts it on your table on Thanksgiving. That's not the way they are at the fair. They're, they're a little more feisty than that. Well, I did 4-H when I was a kid. I never saw the appeal of turkeys or, or, or chickens. I did rabbits and, rabbits and sheep. Yeah, the very docile, calm animals. I don't know. If you, if, you, if you get that rabbit wrong and you don't hold them right, their back legs, they also have not quite talons, but they'll... Uh, but they'll scratch you pretty good if you don't if you don't hold yeah. them right. But they're only going to scratch the person who's holding it, and not the guy that's trying to say nice things about it five feet away. Ah, fair enough. So obviously we're talking about the fair because this is the year of no fair, um, and it is. So of you of the portions of the fair that you will miss the most, obviously not the turkeys. What what would be your what would be the thing you'll miss the most at the fair this year? Well, you know, believe it or not. Um, the fair is a lot of work um, for the merchants involved, for the people involved, for the broadcasters involved. There's a lot that goes into, uh, you know, being at the fair. But I think, to be brutally honest, that's what I'm going to miss most is being at the fair. 
Um, the people that you don't get to see until next fair rolls around, the, the friends that you make, the, uh, the merchants that, you know, and the, and the fair travelers that go and people that you normally don't see until the next fair. Um, I think that's one of the big things I'm going to miss. It's just um, being down there and, and, and seeing all the people. And, and hats off to all those people from Lori Hull, the fair secretary and, and prior fair secretaries all the way down to try to coordinate for seven days, you know, everything from the north end to the south end and everything in between, uh, everything from making sure that, uh, uh, you know, there's there's toilet paper in the bathrooms, that uh, people are, are finding places to park, to making sure that ribbons and trophies are where they're supposed to be at certain times, making sure that the, uh, the, the concerts are set to go making sure that all the merchants are happy it's it's a lot of work for one week yeah and that's and that's when everything goes well i mean even yeah. or even if everything goes well it's it's a lot of work when you get the the weather challenges or i know one year there was a, a sewer challenge at, oh i remember um, that at just yeah and so that uh that definitely makes things even more complicated and more interesting that's a new addition to your fair here in Hillsdale, the barnyard or barefoot stoneboat horse pull on Friday at one o'clock. So I would have to say caramel corn, beaches caramel corn, I should be specific, and sloppy joes from the 4-H kitchen are my probably two most favorite fair foods. That'll be the things that I'll miss the most. What a if you dare classify a favorite um, fair food for yourself, what would what would that have to be? You know, I the the, the beaches caramel corn is very good. Um, I get the uh, I always get the bag or two of uh, hot roasted peanuts from the historical society. Uh, they always do a great job. Um, I got to get my corn dog every year, and normally I'll get it from here or there. Uh, but the Fisk French fries, I think uh, everybody loves them. Everybody knows them. Uh, and uh, I get at least one or two cups during the week. I try to be careful with my food intake during fair week, or I'm going to end up as one of the uh, one of these sideshow exhibits <laughs> at the fair if you eat too much. And that's, that's one of the key things for, for those of us who work down there for the whole week. And you know this as well, uh, is that I end up bringing food from home because if I eat, the peanut butter and jelly sandwich that I brought and the uh, the carrot sticks that I brought uh, and the, the bottle of water, then I'm not going to go out and eat all the, the fair food every day and end up 20 pounds heavy. Indeed. So I found that if I walked from, you know, I generally would spend my time around the uh, Flora Hall Old Merchants Building area and the 4-H kitchen area. So I would, right. I would venture to the far end down by the new horse barn to the Fisk trailer down there to get my fries so obviously i burned enough calories on the way there and back to yeah to negate those fries <laughs> not even close so as a kid then speaking of fair food did you ever throw up from a ride no the tilt-a-whirl about did me in one year and that's when i determined that i can't do spinny rides uh whether it's at the hillsdale county fair or at Cedar Point or any of the other amusement parks, I can't do spinny because then I end up all discombobulated all day long. So um, I've never thrown up on a ride. Uh, I know plenty of people that have. I've seen it happen, uh, unfortunately, but uh, I myself have been able to keep things in my stomach when I need to. 
I, Tilt a Whirl was my my nemesis as well. Um, I didn't fare as well as you did. I, I did not I did not survive, but I did fare better than some because I was able to make it off the ride into one of the nicely painted 4-H club trash barrels. Well, they don't call it the spin and hurl for nothing. That is true, and I yeah I I don't think I ever witnessed anybody actually on the ride get sick, but I'm I've heard stories, and I'm assuming that it definitely has happened. So Midway Games, did you did you ever play them? Did you have a favorite back in the day? Back oh, when we were kids, my dad would take us down to the fair on Kids Day, and uh, we'd do all of the you know pick the rubber duck out with the number on the bottom and, and win a prize. We always like to try to win the goldfish because that would always irritate my mother. Um, we would come home, you know, you take the little ping pong ball and throw it in the goldfish bowl and you'd win a goldfish. And we'd come home with goldfish and my mother would just roll her eyes and because she knew the goldfish was going to be dead in a month. Uh, and it was. But um, and then when you got a little older, you always tried to win the big, big stuffed animals. And I never once came even close to winning any of those those big things. I'd always win the little plastic 10 cent thing and be on my way yeah i would do the same with the fish i think i would think i think a month was probably a very long life for any fish that i took home my son a couple Uh i was gonna say a couple years ago it's been many years ago um my son got a fish and it it probably lasted a year and a half i don't i don't know what magic potion he put in the water or what happened but and so the last last uh last fair question then and just and just to just so you know, the statute of limitations has long expired on this. Okay. When you were younger, did you ever sneak into the fair? Well, let's just put it this way. As long as I can remember, I've never paid for admission to the Hillsdale County Fair. Needless to say, one way or the other, I was able to talk my way in. Uh, now, of course, they allow me in because I'm on the radio. Uh, but there was there was a couple of years where we would go when I was still in school to see the tractor pulls, Thursday and Friday night, love the tractor pulls. Um, and so there was a whole bunch of us. And then when I say that, I'm talking about my dad and his friends. So a lot of older adults and one person out of like 12 people had a pass. And this was before you stamped them or punched them or whatever. Um, so the one person would go in and the rest of us would just kind of stand by the chain link fence. And somehow, I don't know how, that pass would all of a sudden fall out of the chain link fence. And so the next one would pick it up and, and go inside to try to find who it belonged to. And then it would fall out of the fence again. And that person <laughs> would go in and, and get allowed in to try to find out who it belonged to until all 12 of us were in. So Well, that's, that's pretty nice to find 11 people in one group that were so dedicated to make sure that whoever's pass it was it got back to them safely. We cared. So that's, you know, we, that's we, to we wanted to make sure that person got their pass back. And you also made sure that for the rest of us, our passes got punched. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> well, hey, Bob, I, I appreciate the time. Thanks for sharing your fair memories. And I'm really uh, hoping that this edition of the fair, this year's fair, is the only fair that is part of Vanished Hillsdale. And that next year in 2021... We're back to normal. Yes, I, I, I agree 100%. And I hope hopefully this time next year we can have a special edition of Unvanished um, Hillsdale when, when the fair is in full swing again. So, Sounds like fun.
fair week in Hillsdale lasts roughly 10,000 minutes. And while we can't do anything about 9,999 of those minutes, we thought we could give you at least one. So close your eyes, listen, and for the next 60 seconds, you'll be at the fair. Thanks for listening to the Vanished Hillsdale podcast, and please take a moment to visit VanishedHillsdale.com and leave us a voice memo. We would love to hear your fair memories. You can also tell us what you think of the show, share a story, suggest a topic, because we love sharing the stories of Hillsdale, but we would love even more to have you help us. <laughs>